This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. All right, guys, welcome back to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast. I'm Toby Mathis, and I'm joined today by Frank and Sherry Candelario, who are just two awesome clients that I've known forever. And they do a fantastic job in the area of shared housing. So first off, welcome Frank and Sherry. Hey, Toby. Nice to be here. It's always good to see you. We've been hanging out for a long, long time. We go way back. Yeah. And uh, the really cool thing, I, I'll get out of your guys' way so you can tell your story, but Frank and Sherry have found a niche, and they always say niches make riches, right? They found a niche in, in shared housing, and it has a very strong public component, meaning that it's purpose-driven investing. But I can say from looking at tax returns and also working with a lot of folks in this area that it's also very lucrative. And so I want to allow Frank and Sherry to explain what they do, how they got into it, and just give us that, who they are, that little thumbnail sketch of who you guys are. I am the parent of multiple children, but one I adopted from Russia completely affected everything I was to do with my future. Name is Maria Katerine. Kate had the perfect childhood with me once I brought her home to the U.S., but when she was in her teens, she kind of fell to her genetics and she fell to substance use disorder addiction. And ironically, I have a doctorate in pharmacology from the University of Washington Medical School, and I'm a published author on how to block the effects of opioids in the body. My work was seminal and some of how we use naloxone, naltrexone, Narcan today. So now I'm a single mom with a young daughter who's a drug addict. And I think I know a lot about this area, only to find out I knew nothing. I took her to multiple treatment programs and at least a dozen. And I would honestly say I was naive when the hospital said, take her to a recovery home, take her to a clean and sober home, take her to an Oxford home, whatever needs to be done. You're working full time. She needs to be with people practicing her skills. What I found out is the dirty underbelly of the industry. They would take my money. They would put her out in 15 minutes for all kinds of transgressions from walking home with a gentleman from the bus stop to not doing her chores to being 10 minutes late for a meeting and she would disappear. Even though we were close, she didn't want me to judge her. She didn't want to feel the shame, which she never would have. But what that happened is all of that cycle of recovery and homelessness and being disposed of meant that Kate's young life was ruined. We started at 18. She's 28. And things are different than they would have been had she had quality recovery housing. So Frank and I said, we can do better. We realized this industry had been there for 50 years. And a tenant of the industry is one, no medication. Well, my training told me that medication was critical for success with substance use disorder, alcoholism, or mental health issues. And two, if you do something wrong, it's a behavioral issue. So you must leave right now. And three, to get into the house, the members of the house had to vote you in and they could vote you out. So we said, we're going to take our retirement funds. And we went to see Anderson Advisors. The year was about 2015. And said, we're going to risk everything we have on our really shady industry and make it better. 
Wow. And then there's a component of the guy who has no experience in this world. Sherry and I got married in 2014. All of a sudden we started learning. I started learning about Kate and her plight. And Sherry and I have no experience in, with illegal drugs ourselves, right? So this was a world that was kind of a mystery. But the more we learned about it, the more we realized how a billion dollar industry, a kind of underground industry, was preying upon the poor. And it had no regulation. It had no standards. It had no policing of any kind. Just people would say, I'm a clean and sober house, and they'd get taxpayer money to house people. So the more we looked into this, we realized, Sherry, this is not helping people who are going, trying to get recovery in these clean, some of these clean and sober houses. And it just so happened that we were both unemployed shortly after we were married. You know, we both had long, great, wonderful careers, you know, but by some reason, someone had a different purpose for us. And we sat there and said, well, what should we do now? And we decided, I had a little experience in, in real estate investing. I had a duplex and we had nothing to do. So we went to a one of these gurus and paid a lot of money to learn real estate. And all of a sudden we started, the more we looked into the recovery housing industry, no standards, no regulation, nothing. We said, Sherry, this is a billion dollar, a billion dollar industry. And it kind of reminds me of other great successful people. Like I studied Richard Branson. You know, Richard Branson, he didn't create a lot, but he sure would identify a business that could use improvement and he'd go in and turn that thing very profitable. And so Sherry and I both agreed, Sherry, let's go ahead and buy a house and create our own model of shared housing or recovered housing. And we bought a house in a regular neighborhood. It was a former daycare center. So we thought they're used to cars coming and going. Mm -hmm. And we only took a three-day class. So we didn't know a lot about rehab, but we took the pickaxe to the walls ourselves and rehabbed it ourselves. It was a mess. And But by the time it was done six months later, we had a masterpiece. And we had been talking to the Veterans Administration the entire time. They said, we'll fill that house. Our house was done. We had hard money loans. We called the VA and they said, oh, nobody wants to come. They don't want shared rooms. And we knew that was the only way we could make it cash flow. And so we had a discussion with a gentleman who sought us out. And we did not know that this well-spoken man was housing for women in work release who had felonies related to drug offenses. And he said, I have vouchers and I can. you can put two people per bedroom. And you can put 10 people in this house. And we looked at our big financial hole and we looked at our payments and we looked at each other and said, we don't know a lot about incarceration, but okay. But what we found was the, these were the greatest residents on the planet. They'd done all the hard work. They'd been to therapy. They, early release. they wanted to work. And then they started calling their friends in the prison system. And before we knew it, we had three homes in expensive Seattle. They were completely full. We did all kinds of creative financing and we said, my gosh, we're actually making money. We're making triple rent. We're saving lives and we're bucking the system. And of course, when you buck a system that's entrenched for 50 years, people come after you. So we just said, we're going to get involved in the government. We're going to change the laws in the state of Washington. We're going to shut down these homes that you're paying vouchers for. Our homes are beautiful and great neighborhoods. These people have broken windows. We can do better. Imagine taxpayer money, mm -hmm. the generosity of the taxpayers in the state of Washington paying money to house people to get them their lives better, change it, get them off and going, redo their life, make, get their children back. It's a beautiful story. But the, uh, the fly in the ointment is 
they would be paying Frank and Sherry taxpayer money for our beautiful homes in safe neighborhoods. What a radical idea. What a radical yeah. idea. But they'd also use the same taxpayer money to pay the person a few blocks away who had a slum. They're slumlords. And it just wasn't right. So it was amazing. But the whole thing for us changed the magical day because we were saying maybe we can make three or $400 cash flow on this house mm-hmm. <laughs> after all the expenses. You know, maybe we'll get a Boeing engineer and his husband, wife, two kids and a dog. But when that Jesuit priest, who was now the housing specialist for Department of Corrections, knocked on the door and said, hey, I want to talk to you. I, I want to see if you'd be interested in housing our people. And we said, well, who the heck are your people? Mm-hmm. And when these felons coming out of prison, it was like, because America has an attitude. And, and I had the same attitude, Toby. Before I really got into this business, I just had a real negative attitude. Felons, drug addicts, I don't care about them. Last people in the world. But you know what we've learned in the last eight years? There are so many people I admire so much because they got themselves into a pit and they've dug themselves out and they've earned early release. They've gone to treatment. They are doing, but society, you have that thing on your back and society keeps knocking you down, mostly because you don't have a good, safe place to get your life together. So anyway, when the Jesuit priest who was a housing specialist for the Department of Corrections said, we'll give you $500. And I misinterpreted. I thought $500 a bedroom. I go, well, we'll make a little bit. And he says, no, you don't understand. In the recovery housing industry, it's common practice to have two beds in each bedroom because you need accountability. You don't want individuals with a door that that you can lock. And all of a sudden, you know, those six bedrooms of ours just turned into a gold mine. And we didn't mind buying homes. We were like cashing out IRAs. We created a QRP with Anderson. We went to credit cards and wrote big checks against our credit cards. We were buying real estate because we had people wanting to live with us. To this day, the need is huge. And within six months, their Second Chance Act of 2007 had provided a million-dollar grant to Washington State. We're six months in the business. That money was being funneled to us because of the quality of our homes. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so let's break this down real quick. So you're a real estate investor in the for-profit realm, right? which we'll touch on here in a second. So you're in the for-profit realm and all of a sudden you realize I could rent my house for, let's just say $3,000 a month and I'll be okay. I'll make a little bit of money. In this case, you're making $500 a, a bed times what? 12 beds. And yeah, I think we had 12. So there's 6,000. So we were making double rent. Yeah. And I think our house payment, even at that time, even with utilities, brought it up to about 2400 So we were making enough cash flow to qualify for more mortgages. And who's paying for this? Like, is this the, you're going to individuals and you're in their private paying, or is this government money that's being paid to you, whether the bed is empty or filled? It is the government. It is the state. And one of, you know, being pioneers in the industry, mm-hmm. we've watched funding. And now the federal government is sending millions of dollars to the states for recovery housing because mm-hmm. of the fentanyl crisis. Mm-hmm. And they're grabbing the dollars. We've be- recently become registered to be federal contractors mm-hmm. to put together housing throughout the country for veterans. And the money is flowing because we've got a housing crisis. Yeah, we are a good. Yeah, I know you and I have had this discussion, probably 5 million to 7 million units underbuilt in the country. But let's go back to this real quick. So the government is literally paying. Are these municipalities? Is this a nonprofit that's paying you? Is this the Department of Corrections? Who's paying you? And how big of a list is it? 
Like if I'm listening to this right now and I'm going, yeah, that sounds great, but you have to jump through a lot of hoops, I'm sure. How big of a list is it? Like, do you have people literally saying, hey, I have 100 people here that need to be housed. Can you go please get housing for them? So on to get the Department of Corrections funding, we just had to put our name on a piece of paper and a bank account. That was it. And that was paid by the county, county funds? No, that was state State funds. funds. To get drug court funding, we did a contract and they pay whether the beds are filled or not. And we're in our sixth year of that. We recently did veterans court, but on Monday we met with the forensic harps program in Washington and they basically have federal money and we're not talking about minimal amounts of money. We're talking about $1,200 per bed. So we have 60 beds right now mm-hmm. easily. And they are talking about $300 move-in fees. They said, you can have a $200 application fee. If you want to walk in the door with $2,000 per person, we're fine with that. We have it in our budget. And that's because we have quality housing. There's two things I want to say. There is a fee, there's a thing called, I call it fee inflation. We started at $500 a bed. And back then we were buying houses for $300,000. Eight years later, you know, the houses are more expensive. And once you get a reputation, let's face it, our reputation comes from our success. For instance, mm-hmm. recently we had a big dra- drug court graduation. The great, great majority of them came from our house. And even though there are dozens of houses that also house people. Four out of five. So what happens is people realize that because of our business model and our model, we buy beautiful homes and put them in safe neighborhoods. We have a good neighbor policy where our neighbors actually love us because we're helping America's biggest problem but we don't allow any visitors and we screen people who we get. We get people who are serious about success. So with the support of our neighbors and being in a safe neighborhood, people succeed. And because what would happen to many people in this world prior, if you have temptation right outside your door, you know, it's pretty hard. So the key is now uh, some of our highest contracts. And I have a saying, once you get, once you go government contract, you don't want to go back because they just keep on going. And every year they say, well, we're going to up the contract. There's no vacancy, right? You, you, they're paying you for the beds, period, whether yeah. there's somebody in them or not. You're getting a much higher premium. And the reason that this is such a big need is because like Oxford House, no drug policy, right? You can't even have an ibuprofen, I don't think, mm-hmm. in those places. They'll toss you on the street. And that's what you that's what you encountered with Kate, right? Just that she would go yeah, in and they She's would find a reason to throw you out. Yeah, no, she's perfectly fine. She had PTSD from being an orphan in Russia till she was six. And she's fine on medication for her PTSD, but they wouldn't allow it in the house. And so so she would unravel. Yeah, so you have somebody that's got depression or medical condition or anything else. They can't go to those places, but that was the alternative. So they toss them on the street. They toss them on the street in the middle of the night. She got voted out one night at two in the morning because they're waiting for the manager to come home. And she's tiny, five foot two, tiny young girl. Scary. And off she went. It's terrifying. And, you know, I, one of these days, I know I'll have her back in my life. And I've been waiting a very long time. But in the meantime, we decided, we took in people from Department of Corrections. And we said, let's stop people from going to prison. And that's what drug court is. 
they have a team of therapists. People always ask us, what, you know, how do you watch all these people? Mm-hmm. We don't, we're 2,500 we miles away. We are housing specialists, okay? We provide the house for the agencies that want to fill it with their clients. And, and, and they, they actually will take their client, go shopping, buy food, put them in the house, oversee their therapy. If we have a problem, like I've got, I've got an errant woman right now who likes to keep her TV on loud. She's 67. She feels entitled, except it's 1130 at night. And when I shared that with the heart specialist, she said, well, if that were our client, we would say, you can't do that. If you do it again, we're taking the TV. And they do, you know, all of that kind of behavior modification. Mm-hmm. But what we find is when we decided we were going to prevent young adults from going to prison for a felony related to drug use, they were the foster adults. They were the kids who lost housing at age 18. They were the kids who were in homes where there was domestic violence or parents were using drugs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, they had the bad stories. And so we're, our houses are filled with those young adults right now. I was up in Seattle Sunday and just seeing young, bright faces doing well. And they were all saying, thank you for letting us live here. Yeah, because they're in an actual house. They're not in a flop yeah. house. I, I, I used to go to the halfway houses and, and I worked with the guardianship firm. So I know all about them. They're just, you wouldn't want to live there. You'd want to want to drive by it, not drive to it, right? And so in this case, you actually want to go, you because you're a private investor, you're able to right. go and say, hey, you know, we're going to flip the script on this and we're going to be very fleet of foot and we're going to go get one of these contracts. And if it's a big institution and they got thousands of beds, they may give two cents about what's going on inside those places and the people. But you, you said you had 60 beds in Seattle right now. or yep. And so you, you all you care about is that's, it sounds to me like that's $60,000 a month coming in. Yeah. Or there it will be because two of the houses are new this month and they're getting ready to be feel, filled immediately. We have contracts for them already. So we wait till we get a contract before we fill it. One is with Fed's court. And then we took a, picked up the agreement Monday with the HARPS program. And then of course we have 32 beds that are maintained by King County Drug Court. And you know, what was interesting is whenever there is a negative event where one of the government contracts have in another housing group, they want to bring them to us. Because we just don't have that. And, and I, and so I awesome. know that. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's so awesome to be an investor and only buy the house after you've already got the business. Yeah, <laughs> you got a waiting list. Like, you guys yeah. have a waiting list. Like, how, how long oh, yeah. is the waiting list? Could you, could you house people tomorrow if you had the uh, if you had the resources and the housing? It's happened just recently. We bought two houses last month, and uh, we were quick and to paint and, and re we furnish them beautifully. And we're trying to get, we can get them filled up literally weeks after we get the contract. So we had a contract on the one house, but the woman on Monday said, I have 60 clients I'm paying for. And I'd like to house. move all 60 to you. And she talks about the horror stories go on today where there's drug use in the house, you know, because it reflects on the agencies. In fact, right before this talking to you, I was on the phone with the head of housing for Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we were talking about, we go back eight years and she said, you guys are just the best. And that we know when somebody goes to you, they'll be safe and they'll do well. And it's the real estate, you know, it's the buying the nice single family home in a mm-hmm. nice escalating neighborhood. And when we look at a home, we do data analytics. We can pick out a home anywhere in the U.S. You know, whether this is a good home. You know, whether it hits our parameters, is it near a bus stop? 
Does it have four to five bedrooms? Frank's a big one on three bathrooms. Three toilets at least. Yeah. The key is if, if you set the rice house for functionality, it's hugely successful. A lot of people, you know, two beds, one bath or whatever, five bedrooms or seven. We're experts at finding because we create community in these houses. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that's a big part of it. But we also look for um, appreciating neighborhoods. This is a business model. This is a business play. And we're proud of what we do and we save and serve all the time. But it's just been a heck of a ride going from just regular nice W-2 jobs to- Well, unemployed. Well, (laughs) prior to that, we were, you know, we had great careers before that. But anyway- This all flows under shared housing though. Like, like So there's recovery housing, there's drug court, there's transitional housing for- veterans, there's transitional housing for uh, orphans that are aging out of uh, orphan care and like they hit 18 and they're on the street, right? And so this is an opportunity to provide housing in a number of umbrellas, but you guys have really focused in on recovery housing and the drug courts, right? Because it fits everybody. We -hmm. found during the pandemic, they were pulling combat vets out of jail who were 76 years old. Vietnam vets, so they wouldn't die. And they needed recovery housing because they had PTSD. That's what got them there. So what we do is we follow the National Alliance Recovery Residences Standards as level two medically assisted treatment homes, which means we are accredited by the state affiliate of of NAR, which we help start. And And I still sit on the board. And it's just a set of standards. It's not hard. But it allows people to have medication. It allows them to be in a safe place. What I love about it is everybody fits in that umbrella. Can anybody go out and get that NAR certification? Is that something where you could position yourself to where you could certify a home? Is it, it Does it require anything special? Absolutely. Listen, it's just not that difficult. It's just, here, here's my favorite analogy. I used to be a camp director, okay? And about every two years, a bunch of guys with clipboards from the American Camping Association would mm-hmm. come by and check our camp. You know, is it is it safe? Is it clean? Is the kitchen uh, refrigerator standards at, at you know, we're, almost every business is used to some kind of certification. Recovery housing should also be that, and it didn't exist. So the standards for recovery housing is not that difficult. It's just common sense. It's smoke alarms, carbon monoxide, handrails that go down uh, mm-hmm. stairs. You know, it's and people are always, uh, they think, oh, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. But it's not. But I'll tell you, if you are someone who's in it just for the money, you probably won't want to apply for that because <laughs> you'll have to do some painting, some repairing. It's um, like Section 8. They're going to come in every year and yeah. you're going to have to get certified. Here, you're actually certifying yourself, though, to a certain extent. We are. Self-managed, yeah. yeah. And there's about 25 documents that they require. They want to see your insurance policy. And people always ask us, what does your insurance look like? It's actually pretty easy. We have landlord fire policies. And mm-hmm. Seattle, they're $500 a year because we take big deductibles. And sitting over all of that in most of the United States, if you have a nonprofit, which we do, kateshousefoundation.org, the Nonprofit Alliance provides transitional housing insurance, including for your board of directors, auto insurance. And it's not an expensive policy either. And it actually will insure the house and the $2 million liability. We've never had a claim. 
and I'm going to just touch on this because this is where somebody might add a layer of a nonprofit to go interact with the government agencies to get the grants, to apply for grants. Because I know that uh, one of our folks, Michelle, who works with you, she was getting $75,000 a year grant money just to rehabilitate homes. And you're doing that because you're positioning yourself as a nonprofit. But at the end of the day, the rents are going to come to you in a for-profit realm where you're going to, so you could go out there and just decide, hey, you know what, I don't want to go jump through those hoops. I could just tie myself to a nonprofit that goes out and does it. Probably what you're doing with the Jesuits, right? Is yep. they, they did all that. And so they had the vouchers and now they're giving them to you. You could also be the, the Jesuit. You could go out there and be the nonprofit that goes out and get it. Or you could be the person who just accepts the vouchers and houses people in your homes. Yeah, the nonprofit, I think, is incredible. I just was able to get six brand new, beautiful Dell's computers, completely 256 megs and 16 gigs of RAM and beautiful monitors for the price of shipping. <laughs> and I, I'm serious because we're a nonprofit. They only work with nonprofits. And we've worked with them before. They provided free internet service for us. Some of our students, because we also teach what we do, have gone to Walmart and picked up Walmart grants and Target grants mm-hmm. and Home Depot grants and Lowe's grants. I mean, the nonprofit is just amazing. And we have just a small donation tab on our website. And recently, one of our neighbors sent $50. <laughs> and we don't really solicit very much, but it was like the neighbors were saying, hey, I'm here for you. And I, we just found that to be very special. Microsoft Corporation, we had a young lady come in and she didn't do well. And I sent her feedback to her mom with a letter saying, you know, she didn't do well because mom had to come get her. And three months later, her mom said, oh, by the way, I work for Microsoft and I've put Kate's House Foundation in to be one of our partners for donations. We said, we're not going to turn that one down. All that was like icing on the cake. When we started it, you know, because I used to work for nonprofits. I used to be a camp director. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have to rely on endowments or, or, or grants, you know, because you're always struggling, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so we, we didn't, really didn't pursue it for a long time all, because our cash flow was so fantastic. We didn't need it. But all of a sudden, when you're doing very, very well, Toby, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> grants come your way, 100000 this, 75000 that. Yeah. It's sweet. Yeah, we did. We got $125,000 from the state of Washington just to start a new recovery home. And all this just allows us to serve more people. Every day we get up, and it's important for anyone who listens to this. Mm -hmm. The reason we do this is so we can serve more people. The need is great. Yeah. So so, so if you're somebody listening to this out there and you came in and you said shared housing is interesting, now you're hearing about recovery housing, and now you're actually hearing that there's grants and other things, if you put yourself in a position that you look like they want you to look, which is a nonprofit, then they'll award grants. You have lots of folks that do it. How does somebody learn how to do this for, with you guys? Like, where were they? Where, how would they reach you if they needed to get more information? And this is something that you do teach, right? We do teach it, and we actually have our class available online, which a lot of people purchase that way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we always tell people: if you buy it online, the next time we do a Zoom class, you can come to that as our guest. Yeah. And it, at frankandsherry.com is all of our educational materials. The other thing we're doing is we're working with investors. And when investors are supplying a down payment for a home, which was how we 
purchased two very expensive homes in Seattle last month. Mm-hmm. We put their life story in the home. We put a poster and their philosophy. And so it's Kate's house, but it's in honor of. And we had one woman in particular who wanted to open up a home, but she recently discovered her cancer has come back mm-hmm. and she has to be in treatment. And she said, I don't want to wait. I'll give you the IRA funds to start the home. So it's going to be a veteran's home in her honor because she's a vet. So we've realized that a lot of people want a legacy. And what better legacy? Right now we're raising money for a mother and child home because we find a lot of mothers and kids are losing it all in divorce. They're losing out because dad has the addiction and they have to go. Mm. And there's a huge need and it doesn't exist. And how we like to put it, there's 3,000 credited homes in the U.S. and 300,000 people who get out of treatment each year. So it's a huge market. The money's fast. The government has recognized it by the amount of funding that's available. And having a brand, a brand where you care about people, because we do, and, and we tell everybody, you're where we'd like Kate to be, the kind of ex- experience we wish she would have had. Well, it sounds like you guys have taken some that was a personal pain and turned it into a personal positive and are going out and helping a lot of folks. I personally know a lot of folks that have come your way who have implemented the same types of strategies. And here's the punchline is they actually make more money. Like if you do this type of stuff, you'll have, you'll make more. What we're seeing with shared housing on average is probably a hundred percent increase on your net operating income. So you're doubling your net operating income. Yes, you got to jump through some more hoops. Yes, you're going to be doing recovery housing, but on an average across the board, what we're seeing is probably that. And then in some cases, if you're going into recovery housing, you might see even more icing on the cake in the form of the grants and other things. That's just free money. And it's just because you're willing to go into that area. So talk about your rehabs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was afraid to real estate broker too. Talk about the advantage of that. Well, you know, that, that's a part of it, that when we teach, we teach every aspect. And basically, we our approach is, this is who we were, this is who we are now, doing extremely well. And we want to educate, and then you can duplicate. That, yeah. That's our strategy. And it's not rocket science. It's not. Plenty of room not, in it, right? This yeah, isn't yeah, a scarcity. Good, yeah, there's a, there's a t- tremendous need, and you're going in and you satisfy somebody's need, you should be rewarded. There's nothing like waking up to grateful people on a regular basis. I got my kids back. Thank you. I got my children back. I got back with my family because really the people that we take in are desperately trying to get their life back together, get back with their families. But you'll never do it if you're in a hostile environment, the same environment that got you in trouble in the first place. So this radical idea of Sherry and I putting them in beautiful, safe neighborhoods works. The other quick thing that we do, I used to be a camp director. And when Johnny comes to camp during the summer, I can't send him home for bad behavior. So what do we do? If there's something that's not going right with an individual in a house, we just move them to a different house. we got so many houses. And if that doesn't work, we move them to another. We've had drug court graduates who sometimes have been to three different of our houses because we don't want to give up on people. And it's it's wonderful when you well, feel you gotta, you, your you, model you. Is, is compassionate, not punitive. And that was it. Our first role really was nobody gets kicked out in 15 minutes. So, of course, people ask, do people relapse? Of course they do. We're taking young adults Mm -hmm. who are in the early stages of drug court. But what happens is we call their grandma. We find a relative. When they apply, we've got those phone numbers. We've had people take people to hospitals. Because of the community in the house, 
people care for each other. And I think that's really important. Our whole goal is to have a Kate's house in every city in the country. And that came from one of our early residents. And we're doing it by being able to teach what we do by teaching shared housing. Yep. Keep it up. And uh, anybody wants to get involved, uh, frankandsherry.com. Is that what it is? Frankandsherry.com. Or if you want to learn more about our nonprofit, mm-hmm. that's kateshousefoundation.org. We're going to have a huge convention in September 15th through 17th. Oh, yeah. It's a bus tour. And you get to see tour. our homes. You know, the, the problem with this is people have a hard time conceptualizing that this can't, this is too good to be true. So when you come to a bus tour and you actually walk through our houses and say, what, for eight years, nine people have occupied this house and it's immaculate, you know, and the people are warm. They're friendly. They're grateful to be there. And also you see the neighborhood that accepts you. So if you want that experience, there's nothing like being on the bus bus tour and walking through our houses, meeting our residents, meeting our employees. Well, this will sit in perpetuity in our podcast. So I would say visit frankandsherry.com, visit kateshousefoundation.org and uh, and learn more. And I'll put those in the show notes too, so that you guys can link to it. But thanks Frank and Sherry for coming in. Thank you guys. Or should I say Sherry and Frank to be fair, since you're That's on my probably home, be better. Right? Yeah. Uh, but thanks, you're guys. You're wonderful. Thank you for and we're grateful to you yeah, for a lot of things and, and your whole Anderson organization. We really appreciate you because when we had a crazy idea saying we're going to change housing across America, you didn't look at us like, oh, that's a little big or a little lofty. You said, how do we protect you? Yeah. How do we make sure your assets are safe because of what you're going to do? So you were our first conversation. And that's what I love. You can't have a big idea without having a bigger cheerleading section in the back picking up the pieces because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. But we all need advocates. We all need people that are rooting for us. And nowadays, boy, it sees a lot of people are rooting against other folks. And, oh, yeah. Uh, but, but in this area in particular, I think we do a lot of, a lot of good and it requires the private individuals like us. We don't need governments doing it. Classic example of private sector doing a much better job than had been done. Yep. And that's what it is. You just turn it on its ear and you, somebody t- it takes bold action and somebody who says, this sucks, I'm going to do yep. it better <laughs> and starts doing it. And then <laughs> 10 years later, you're going to see, wow, we've made a huge impact. 10 years after that, it's going to be, you know, it's just going to be a magnitude of multiples above that and you're doing it right. So uh, I'm rooting for you guys. Thank so, you, Toby. So we'll get that out there. And I just want to say thanks again for for joining us. And you guys have been listening to the Anderson Business Advisors podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 